Well, good morning, everybody. I'm so glad you made your way here this morning. Welcome. Uh, I am in the Ward Church building in Northville with a handful of volunteers and staff and elders and, and some church members who did not get the memo, uh, who I believe God sent here to be an encouragement uh, to me. The, uh, the spirit here this morning is surprisingly electric given the challenges of putting on a worship service in this format. Uh, but do you know what day today is? Today is the Lord's Day. Today is Sunday. And for 2,000 years, the followers of Jesus have gathered on Sunday to worship, to lift up God's name, to give thanks for what they have, to pray for one another and for the world. And today is Sunday. And all around the world and throughout history, the community of Jesus has gathered on Sunday, and they've gathered in times of war and at times of peace. They have gathered in times of prosperity and in times of famine. They have gathered in cathedrals and in caves and in homes and in hovels and in storefronts and in sanctuaries, and today is Sunday. For generations, the Sunday gathering was so treasured by the people of God that they would gather in times and places, even in great threat of persecution, when to do so meant to put their own lives in harm's way. The people so treasured, so valued, so desired to be together to worship, to pray, and to fellowship that nothing could stop them. Today is Sunday, and nothing can stop God's people from gathering together to worship. Not a virus, not the stock market, not a ban against large uh, public events. Uh, and, and for the first time in human history, we are the first generation for whom even isolation cannot stop the gathering together of God's people. We are gathered on Sunday, on the Lord's Day, on Resurrection Day. And some of you uh, are in your houses today with your family. Uh, some of you are gathered with your small group. I saw some notes that some people were going to have uh, folks over to their house for breakfast and worship. Uh, one group is calling it a pajama party. I'm not, not sure about that. Uh, but many of you are watching today all by yourselves. And I want you to know that you are not alone. You are with your church as part of the gathered community of Jesus. And not just, not just your church, but many Americans today will worship exactly in the way that you are right now because nothing can stop God's people from coming together to worship. Today is Sunday, and we're gonna do exactly what we do every Sunday. We're gonna sing God's praises, and I encourage you, wherever you are, uh, if you're part of the, the, the few here with me or somewhere out there in your homes, if, uh, if you're in a place where you can do so safely, I encourage you to actually sing along aloud. Might feel weird, but give it a shot. Uh, we're gonna pray. And some of you are thinking, hey, uh, I'm way ahead of you. I've been praying for a whole week, and that's fantastic. Uh, the apostle Paul said this. He said, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Anybody feeling anxious this morning? Anybody need some of that peace that passes all understanding? Then present your request to God 
with thanksgiving. We're going to do that today. We're going to listen to God's word. I'm going to preach the next installment of our sermon series on the Lord's Prayer. And my guess is that the Bible will sound different to you today than it did last week. That's the living and active nature of God's word. God's word meets us right where we are. We're going to present to God our tithes and offerings. Now, we're not going to pass a physical offering plate today, so you'll have to figure that out logistically, online, or by mail. But we will not withhold our tithes to Almighty God because of a human virus. We're going to sing and pray and give and listen to God's voice because today is Sunday. This is the Lord's day, and we are his people. And if anybody wanted to say amen, this would be a very good place to do that if you want to say amen. This is the Lord's day. Would you pray with me now? Glorious God, today is Sunday. And today we remember the resurrection of your son. We remember your power over even death. We remember and celebrate your great love for us and for this world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We are not in one location, but we are one in heart, worshiping one God as one church. And we will not hold anything back in bringing you our praise and our worship and our surrender. You are the sovereign God. You are our rock and redeemer. You are our hope and stay. In you we will trust. Receive now the worship of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you are uh, joining us just now, uh, welcome to you. Hundreds of us have joined together online to worship God together. Uh, literally hundreds, and uh, we have people watching, uh, joining the classic service from 17 different states, uh, the modern service, 14 different states. Uh, we have someone viewing from Germany, and that's a, a ward family that is relocated, and you're in Germany right now. Good morning to the Vingrens. We have people from uh, other churches that are joining because their own church doesn't have the, uh, the ability to live stream, like, uh, like my friends Liz and Steve watching this morning. Good morning to you. Uh, it's important that we gather together uh, in this way. Now, you, you can, of course, worship God alone. God is everywhere. Private worship is very important. But the Bible speaks to the importance of corporate worship. That, that word corporate from the Latin word corpus for body, we worship as a body of believers. There is something that happens when we are together Jesus says we're two or more gathered. There's something that happens when we're together that does not happen when we are apart. The Bible says do not neglect the assembly together. And we are together gathered this morning. The governor, at the recommendation of the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services, has banned all public gatherings of more than 250 people and has discouraged public gatherings of more than 100 people and this was a wise uh, move on our governor's part, and we comply. Uh, we don't want to do anything to put uh, people at risk. We, we need to care for especially the most vulnerable. Providentially, we are in the season of Lent, which has an emphasis on prayer and sacrifice. Lent is that 40-day period leading up to Easter Sunday, and for many reasons, this Lent will be very memorable indeed. 
On Sunday mornings, uh, we're going to continue to learn about prayer from the master prayer himself, Jesus. His teaching about prayer, commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer, uh, was a teaching where he taught the disciples and us about God and about how to pray. And we've been working through that great prayer line by line in our Sunday morning services and in our small groups, and we will continue to do so for the rest of Lent. And we're we're not just learning about prayer, we are praying. And we're calling a special Facebook Live prayer meeting for this Wednesday night at 7.30. You can actually attend this prayer meeting in all the same ways you're attending this worship service this morning. It'll be a live stream prayer meeting this Wednesday at 7.30. We, we want to gather together the church once more midweek to pray. Uh, I, I suggested at the beginning of Lent that you pray for a person, that you fast and pray for somebody, somebody that you know, maybe uh, somebody who feels distant from God right now. Maybe it's somebody who has lost their job or their health or their hope or their way. Maybe it's somebody uh, who seems like they're doing quite all right right now, but you just like this person a lot and you want to just heap God's blessing upon them. Uh, Some of us have been experimenting with fasting over Lent uh, to add some punch to our prayers and to redirect our appetites toward God. Fasting involves going for periods of time without food or without your phone or without social media or without one of those things that tends to control us. Fasting, as you know, is not a popular or well-understood spiritual discipline in North America. It's a bit mysterious. Uh, I've been trying some fasting myself recently, and when I do it right, I feel closer to God. And when I do it wrong, I feel closer to harming somebody. Right? When, when I do it right, I get humble. And when I do it wrong, I get hangry. Right? And, and my goal is to redirect my hunger toward God, to hunger for God more. So many of us are using Lent to intentionally raise our efforts in prayer and fasting. But I'm guessing even those among us who have no idea what Lent is and had no intention of raising their prayer efforts this Lent, have found themselves praying more in recent days. Has anybody noticed that there are a lot of good reasons right now to pray? A spreading coronavirus, a tumbling stock market, a volatile election season? Uh, There are very good reasons to pray right now. It's not good to be afraid, Uh, The Bible talks a lot about fear, and it's always negative because fear is what keeps people back from God's best. It's what makes people fall short. Fear is not good. The only thing good I can think about fear is this. Fear motivates people to pray. Even non-religious people have prayed in the last week. Now, let me assure you, as fearful as people are right now, as bad as situations look, we have been here before. You think we're in a volatile, heated election season right now? It was even worse in the time of Jesus. Remember the time of Jesus? They were occupied by Rome. 
a foreign occupier. And even the leaders of Israel weren't sure how to respond to this. There was the radical wing, the zealots who thought we should fight uh, Rome uh, with violence and military and bloodshed was just okay with them. Then there was the other side that thought we could cooperate with Rome, maybe even welcome Rome. Then there were moderates in the middle. There were divided political parties. Debates were heated and sometimes ended in violence. In Jesus' day, there was pestilence and disease. Medicine was primitive. Infant mortality was high. And life expectancy was low. The life expectancy in Jesus' time and place was about 45 years old. That, that's if you do not include the infant mortality numbers. If you work that in and rework that math, life expectancy in Jesus' day, 25 years old. It was not a, a great time and place. There was no life or disability insurance, no social security, no safety nets, no guarantees. Life was uncertain and unpredictable, and into that environment, to those people who lived in fear, Jesus said things like this. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Jesus said that. Jesus also said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus also said, in this world, you will have trouble. How's that for a promise of Jesus? You will have trouble, expect it, but take heart. Why? I have overcome the world. Jesus knew that one of the chief obstacles to the life that God intends is fear. And so he was always reassuring his followers, do not be afraid. When you are in God's kingdom, you are never ultimately at risk. No matter what happens, you are secure. And to the people who were prone to fear, he gave instructions about how to pray. He said, when you pray, begin our Father. How does that feel? You are not praying to some vague, impersonal force. You are praying to your heavenly Father who made you and knows you and wants the best for you and is committed to you. This, then, is how you should pray. It's our uh, tradition and uh, custom habit at Ward Church that when we get to the main scripture reading of the day, we all stand out, out of respect for, for God's Word, and I don't even know if this is practical today, but I want to ask if you're in a place right now where you can stand to your feet, even if you're by yourself, uh, in hundreds of locations all across Metro Detroit and all these states, would you would you stand to your feet where you are? And we're gonna we're gonna read the words of the Lord's Prayer, and we're gonna unite together. Not only those of us right now on our feet, but we are united with the followers of Jesus all around the world and all throughout time as we read these famous words together. Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. 
for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, these famous words aren't just poetry. They're not just nice sentiments. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, teach us to pray. Teach us to trust. Teach us what it means to live with you as our Father. We pray for a world gripped in fear. We pray for a world that is unsafe. We pray for your provision and power and mercy to fall upon this undeserving world once more. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Well, this morning we're going to focus on a single line. Give us today our daily bread. When people heard Jesus say this, everyone recognized its historical reference point. This goes back to the very famous foundational story in the Jewish history of the freedom from slavery. Remember, the people of God were in slavery in Egypt, and God sent a man named Moses to set his people free. And then came the pinnacle of the story when they're fleeing Egypt with the army of Pharaoh in pursuit, and God parts the Red Sea. And the people of God walk across on dry ground, and then the sea closes up on the pursuing army. They get to the other side, and they worship, and they celebrate, and they give God glory, but they're not out of the woods because now they're heading into the wilderness. And that's where we pick up our story. And I'm going to read a fair amount here from Exodus chapter 16. This is where we pick up the story. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Kind of a surprising first line. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they are following my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. And then we skip down to verse 14. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who had gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Yeah, he was angry. So the people are hungry. They're hangry. And God sends bread from heaven. The Bible says they're flakes like frost. 
frosted flakes everywhere on the ground. Uh, it wasn't just good, uh, it was great. That's a little Tony the Tiger reference there, never mind. Uh, they were to gather just enough for that day, just enough for the day. How much did each person need for a day? Uh, the Bible says an omer, an omer. And some of you are wondering, uh, what is an omer? And thankfully, verse 36 tells us an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. So uh, there you go. Uh, the footnote in my Bible says it's about two quarts. The exception was on the Sabbath. They did not gather on the Sabbath. They needed to get twice as much before because they would not work or gather on the Sabbath. Uh, what, what's going on here? God is teaching his people in the desert. He's teaching them daily dependence upon him. He's also teaching them about the Sabbath, but he's teaching them how to trust, and God has 40 years to shape his people. That's what's going on here. Uh, the people of Israel called the bread manna, verse 31, it was, it was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. That sounds kind of tasty. Uh, the word manna, near as we can translate, means what is it? It was a mystery. When I was in middle school, our school cafeteria uh, served something that we all called mystery meats. Uh, we weren't sure what it was. I think it was meat. Uh, I don't know what kind of meat. It was a mystery, and this was a bit of a mystery. The people of Israel, these white flakes of frost, this manna, this bread from heaven, they didn't know what it was, but they did know one thing. It wasn't there yesterday. And God provided enough every day for 40 years that two or three million people could eat to their full. That's a lot of manna. That's manna mania. And a lot of people wonder if they ever got bored with manna. Did they ever try creative recipes? You know, did they make manna bread and manna burgers and manna milkshakes and manna splits, manna cotti? Did they? Again, what was, what was God doing? God is forming his people. He's shaping a people who will know daily dependence upon God. And it worked. Later, psalms like this were written. Psalm 62, verse 5. There's just one example. The psalmist says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. The people of God have been formed. And dependence upon God, trust in God, from this point forward will mark his people. So there are some lessons in this Old Testament story that we've read and in the words, the simple words of Jesus to pray for daily bread that we can apply to our own lives right now. How should we pray? Uh, and you can find these notes in your, in your app. Although if you're watching online, I don't know how you'll read your app and watch. You'll need to get someone, just listen. Uh, four ways today. How should we pray? Not grumbling, but gratitude. Not grumbling, but gratitude. How much time do you think it passed from this glorious moment where they, God parted the Red Sea, they get to the other side, they celebrate, they praise, they give thanks. Uh, how much time had passed between that moment and the moment where they're hangry and grumbling? How much time had passed? One month. 
One month. One month from, wow, God's our rescuer, to what have you done for me lately? And before we judge the Israelites too harshly, can we admit that we do the same thing? Can we see God in the little things? It's easy to recognize God when he parts the Red Sea for us. It's harder sometimes to recognize God in our daily bread. God is the provider of all things. We give God thanks. You know the old story about the Irishman, Paddy, who was looking for a parking spot, couldn't find one, and he, he praised in his car that day, Oh, Lord, if you would deliver unto me a parking spot, I would be forever grateful. I will give up my evil ways. I will dedicate my life to you if you would just deliver to me a parking spot. And he pulls around the corner, and sure enough, a spot opens right in front, the ideal spot in the whole lot. And Paddy prays again, Oh, Lord, never mind, I found one. <laughs> That story would be better if I could do an Irish accent, I think. One of the best ways to respond to fear and to difficult situations is to give thanks for the provision of God. The best thing we can do right now is to give thanks. So it's not grumbling but gratitude. Secondly, it's not greeds but needs. Right, give us daily bread. This should be the easy part of the Lord's Prayer. We've already started, if we're following the outline, we've started praying, hallowed be your name, God. We've praised his name. We've given him thanks. We've honored him. Then we moved on to pray for God's kingdom to come on earth. We pray about that. And then we get to the daily bread, which is our turn to ask God for stuff. We're invited to do so. And daily bread is not just about food. It's about our daily needs. And people in Jesus' day would have understood this. It's interesting, the word here translated daily or each day is a word that's only used here for the Lord's Prayer. It's not found anyplace else in the Bible. It's not even found anyplace else in Greek literature. And so translators really had to guess at what this word means. And they made a very good guess with daily or each day. But not long ago, a piece of papyri was discovered on which uh, contained a, a, a shopping list of an ancient woman. And not, not like an old woman, but I mean a woman who lived way back then. And on that list, there were several items that were perishable. And next to each item was this word, epiosios, enough for the day. Enough for the day. And many cultures live this way today. We lived in England for a few years, and we were surprised at how small the refrigerators were there um, because people tend to shop every day. They go shopping every day. There's no place to put my gallon milk jug in that refrigerator. You have to go to the store every day. You went to get enough for the day. Americans do not think that way. We are the land of Costco, which is my favorite store. Um, but even then, I wondered, do I really need a five-gallon drum of peanut butter uh, three-pack, you know. And when I feel fearful, my impulse to hoard goes into overdrive. Costco's quantities suddenly seem too small for me. And if you've been to Myers or Costco this week, you know that fear is ruling the day. Empty shelves scream of fear. Now, granted, this is a very unusual time, and people need to be prepared, and there's a place for proper prudence, and the Bible does say, think about the ants. They, they store provisions for the future. We need to be doing that. But we have to balance all that with the teaching of Jesus, who taught that God is our provider, and God gives us what we need for that day, for each day. 
So what do you need from God today? I want you to think beyond food and toilet paper to what do you need today? Maybe what you need most today is courage because you're facing a difficult situation at work. Maybe what you need is grace for today because you're still grieving the loss of somebody. Maybe what you need today is patience because you're in a very trying season of life. See, when, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, there's an immediacy to this. So what is your immediate need? What would you put on your shopping list of needs? What are you most desperate for today? And I want to encourage you to write it, write it down. Declare it. Whether your need is physical, emotional, relational, or spiritual, ask God for it. Jesus has invited us to do so. Then we pray, not just my needs only, but our needs. When we present our needs to God, which we're welcome to do so, we're invited to do so, we present our needs, we need to also pray for the needs of others. Uh, notice that this request is plural. Give us this day our daily bread. There's a communal aspect of this. What do you do if you have more than your daily need? Did, did anybody here eat more yesterday than you needed? Anybody have plans to eat more today than you need? And to those who have more than your daily need, why do you think God gave you more than you need? In America, if what we need is one loaf of bread and God gives us two loaves of bread, we might assume that God wants us to consume two loaves instead of one or that God wants us to store one loaf of bread. But when God was forming his people in the desert, he would not allow them to hoard. He made bread that only lasted one day. So they would learn how to depend on God each day and how to share. So let's review. When we pray, it's not grumbling but gratitude, not greeds but needs, not my needs but our needs. And then lastly, not troubled but trusting. You can trust God in everything. You can trust God daily. You can trust God not just with the big, fantastic miracles, but in the daily small needs. This is the way Jesus lived. This is the way Jesus prayed. He begins this great prayer, Our Father, Abba, Father. And we talked about what a statement of relationship and trust that that is. And the Lord's Prayer is not the only place that Jesus called God Abba, Father. We see it again here in Mark 14. Abba, Father, Jesus said, everything is possible for you. This is in the garden before his crucifixion. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. This may be my favorite prayer of our Lord. It's honest. He presents his needs honestly. God, I, Father, I, I don't want to go through this. He's submissive, but not what I want, but what you want, God. He trusts. He does this all again when he's hanging on the cross. Uh, Luke 23, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. I mean, what, what trust 
in his inner anguish in the garden and in his final breath on the cross, Jesus completely trusted in his Father. It's how he lived, it's how he prayed, and Jesus says that you can live and pray this way too. You do not have to wait to pray this prayer. You can pray it right now. Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. I commit myself. I give you my being. This is an offering of a different kind. God, I offer you myself. In you, I place my trust. You are my sustainer and redeemer. You are my provider. You are the God of daily bread. Dallas Willard translates this line of the Lord's Prayer this way. Today I have God, and he has the provisions. Tomorrow it will be the same. Today I have God, and he has the provisions, and tomorrow it will be the same. You can trust God. Relax. God is the giver of daily bread. Next Sunday we're going to pick up the next line which is forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This may be the most challenging, the most scary line in the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to look at that next week. Let's pray together. Well, God, perhaps there are some listening to these words who would like to pray what Jesus prayed and say, Father, into your hands I commit my being. Father, not my will, but your will. I place my trust in you. You are our heavenly Father in whom we trust. You are our rock and our salvation. You are our fortress. We have seen your greatness and we have known your goodness. And yet, Father, we confess that we are guilty of grumbling. We do not live with gratitude. We do not recognize your provision in the day-to-day. So, oh God, give us eyes to see. Whether we realize it or not, we depend on you daily. And so we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Provide for us. Provide for those around us. Provide for those forgotten by us. Give to each one exactly what is needed this day. We marvel at the way Jesus lived and the way he prayed and the way he trusted and we long to be more like him. Form us to the image of your son for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name and all the gathered said, amen, amen.